In May of 2014, a young boy, 12 years old, here in the state of Florida, decided that he wanted to read his Bible during their free reading time in class, only to be humiliated by his teacher. Dr. Mike Adams, a professor of criminology, was actually an atheist and doing very, very well in his career. But he became a believer in Jesus Christ around the year 2000. It changed his political point of view, it changed his moral and ethical point of view. And right about that time, he found himself on the receiving end of intrusive investigations, baseless accusations, and was denied a promotion to full professor, even as his work continued to surpass his colleagues in quality and quantity. Peter and John were on their way to the temple, and there they met a man who was born lame. And in the name of Jesus Christ, they commanded the man, stand up and walk. And because of that miracle, they were given the opportunity to preach about Jesus, crucified, risen, and salvation in his name, only to find themselves arrested and put on trial. Jesus causes a profound reaction in people. Jesus is one of those characters about whom you can't really be ambivalent. He's one of those people in history who you either love or you hate, and you really can't have it any other way. There really is no fence sitting when it comes to Jesus. Individuals, powers that be, cultures and ages are oftentimes repelled by Jesus, oftentimes offended by his gospel, offended by his followers. And when this offense occurs, opposition against Jesus and his people arises and persecution of all sorts follows. Whether we're talking about a, a young boy humiliated in front of his classmates because he read the Bible, whether we're talking about a professor being denied uh, proper uh, growth in his position because he believes in Jesus, whether we're talking about Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin on trial, persecution always comes when the gospel is proclaimed. Boy, that's uplifting, isn't it? <laughs> Feeling good about ourselves this morning? Amen. Amen. Listen, we have to recognize there's two realities here, and I really do want for us to be encouraged in this sermon this morning because the reality of, of persecution, the reality of suffering, the reality of oppression, it's not personal, it's not about us, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when it comes, when the reality of it's coming, Jesus guaranteed it would come, but when it comes, how do we respond? The really encouraging thing, I think, for us is that we are called to respond like Peter and like the early church with boldness. And the really encouraging thing is that we don't have to be bold in our own power, in our own authority, in our own handsomeness, in our ability to persuade people. Rather, it is in the face of opposition, in the face of whatever kind of pressure there may be for us to give up on Jesus, give in to the cultural whims, we stand bold before those things because of the sovereignty of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I want to see that for us this morning from this passage, uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 31. In the chapter uh, of, of Acts chapter 4, it really opens picking up exactly where chapter 3 left off. It's funny that way, isn't it? That Acts chapter 4 would carry on where Acts chapter 3 left off. And Acts chapter 3, as Father Forrest preached last week, the apostles Peter and John had gone to the temple where in the name of Jesus, a man lame from birth was healed. That healing allowed Peter then to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, to preach a sermon about Jesus there in the very temple precincts of the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And of course, as a biblical gospel preaching occurs, Peter preaches about Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus being crucified, Jesus being raised by God, and salvation available only through Jesus. That kind of preaching offends people. That kind of preaching kind of chaps people's hides. And here, Peter's preaching in the temple precincts of Acts chapter 3, this preaching of Jesus' death and resurrection offended the civil and religious leaders. So St. Luke writes, As they were speaking to the people, while Peter and John were proclaiming the gospel, giving witness to Jesus, as they were doing that, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees were one of those leading parties of the Jewish people. They were wealthy aristocrats. They had close connections to the priesthood and to the religious authorities of the people. Anglican pastor John Stott has pointed out that politically, the Sadducees were collaborators with Rome. They had made deals with the leaders of Rome to have authority over the Jewish people. And so, of course, they're sensitive to maintain their position of power and privilege. Keep the peace at all costs because any uprising will require Rome to come down heavier, more fully with force, and quite likely would cost Jewish people of any self-rule they may have. Theologically, the, the Sadducees weren't particularly interested, in all honesty, with any thought of a Messiah. They just really didn't think about it, nor look forward to the Messiah coming, and they most certainly didn't believe in any kind of resurrection. We can understand their exasperation, their annoyance, because there were Peter and John in the temple precincts, proclaiming Jesus to be Messiah, the, the Lord of heaven and earth, that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. There they were in the, the temple precincts, proclaiming not just some uh, generalized notion of a Messiah, but that Jesus himself was the Messiah. And there they were in the, the temple precincts saying, yep, Jesus was crucified, but God raised him from the dead. Not some sort of ambiguous general resurrection they may or may not have believed in, but a very personalized resurrection in Jesus himself, whose resurrection was the first fruits of resurrection. You can understand what they would think about Peter and John. Here's a couple of heretics, some, some rabble-rousers, and what really had to grind, they did miracles to validate their claims, right? They, here was standing before them something they couldn't deny, a man who had been lame for 40 years, born that way, healed in the name of Jesus. And so they come against Peter and John. They send the temple guard, they send the priest, and they arrest them, 
hold them over for a night so that they would stand trial before the Sanhedrin. Now we have to recognize, folks, that that this kind of uh, press back, this kind of push against the gospel, this kind of oppression or suppression of God's people in Jesus Christ, we have to recognize that this does not and should not catch us off guard. In John chapter 3, we read the words where we, we see, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. When confronted with the offense of the gospel, when confronted with the light of Jesus Christ, darkness, like the empire, strikes back. Hey. Yeah, you got that one. Had to. Had to. And so as a result of the offense of the gospel, the, the Sadducees had Peter and John arrested and held them over for trial by the Sanhedrin. And just as a side note, St. Luke is so careful with details. It really is marvelous. It, notice what he writes in Acts chapter 4, verse 4. They had arrested Peter and John, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word, believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. You see, the opposition of the Sadducees and the arrest of Peter and John did absolutely nothing to stop, slow, or limit the gospel and belief in the name of Jesus Christ. That's pretty awesome. Now, that's sort of a little side note there. The Sanhedrin's called together and this trial of Peter and John is, is sort of put together. And, and I think we really have to stand in awe, I believe, in awe of, of Peter. And notice what Peter does. He's, he's standing before the same group of men who would have uh, put Jesus to trial, the same group of 70 men, Pharisees and Sadducees together under the leadership of the high priest, who would have taken Jesus, condemned him as a blasphemer to Pontius Pilate and said, crucify him. He's standing before men that in some very real ways have the authority and the power of life or death over him and over John. And he is vastly outnumbered, 70 to 2. 70 to 2. And he's standing there, and they, they, they ask him the question, you know, who gives you the authority, or in what name, and what authority, by what power are you doing these things? By what power are you preaching the gospel? By, by what power are you doing these, these healings? And, and Peter, I love this. This is just, it's so impressive to me. That Peter, who got in trouble for preaching Jesus, responds by preaching Jesus. Right? Is that, isn't that awesome? You, you shut up about preaching Jesus or we're, going to, or we're arresting you because you've preached Jesus. Now, let's put you on trial and I'm going to preach Jesus again. That's pretty impressive. And then, you know, the Sadducees, they, they really can't, the Sanhedrin really can't do much. They, they can't, one, deny that the, that the healing occurred because the guy standing there in front of them, again, Luke's attention to detail. In verse 22, the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years, and there he was right there in front of them. They can't deny the healing occurred. And, and Peter, how annoying would it be to, to arrest somebody for something they've done and he just continues to do it right there in court? How annoying would that be? And, and Peter just continues to preach Jesus. How is that possible? How is this happening? Again, St. Luke's attention to detail. Look at chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter drops the mic. Right? What else is there at this point? To stand before the Sanhedrin, this same group of men who presented Jesus to Pilate for crucifixion and to preach Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. To stand before this group of men and proclaim there is salvation in no one else. To stand there in front of them and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is bold and that is boldness. This is confidence in Jesus. This is power. This is authority in the Holy Spirit. This is what boldness looks like. And we have to remember, folks, who Peter is. We have a tendency, I think, sometimes to create superheroes, uh, uh, extra special, they can do this, but we can't kind of mentality about figures in the Bible. We need to remember who Peter is. We're not talking about years of development in his character. It was only several weeks before, a few months before, on the night of Jesus' betrayal, arrest, and trial before the ruling council, before the same Sanhedrin, that Peter wilted before a slave girl and denied that he even knew Jesus. A slave girl. Now, the same man who had once denied Jesus stands before the same group of men, same group of leaders that crucified Jesus and reminds them that they crucified Jesus, but God raised him up. He stands before this group of, of leaders and he proclaims to them that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, the cornerstone who alone gives salvation. What possibly could have happened? What possibly could have changed Peter? The Holy Spirit, that's it. That is it. It is at, at, at this point in Acts chapter 4, Peter has gone from denying Jesus to seeing the resurrection and the resurrected Jesus. He has been uh, sort of reinstituted into ministry at the end of John's gospel. The Holy Spirit has poured out upon the church in Acts chapter 2. Peter and the others, filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to witness, testify. Luke is very careful to say in this exact moment, Peter is again filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not because Peter is so brave, it's because Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit that makes him bold. Just as Jesus had promised his disciples in Luke 21, persecution has come. But with it has come the opportunity to bear witness to the gospel. And just as Jesus had promised when he said, I will give you a mouth in wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict, Peter stands, proclaims the gospel, and the Sanhedrin can do nothing about it. It was the power of the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of Jesus' promises that turned Peter the coward into Peter the courageous. And that is how Peter is able to say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
Where did this boldness come from? Where did this, this ability to say no to the Sanhedrin come from? Where did this ability to cling to Jesus in the face of this opposition, where did it come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. Followers of Jesus can be bold because the power of the Spirit. And it isn't just true for individuals. It isn't just true for Peter and James and John and Paul. It is true for you and I, and it's true for the church. I think it's, it's just a marvelous passage that we're looking at here today. Uh, Peter and John, you know, the Sanhedrin, they have to kind of put up their hands and say, well, I don't know, we can't really do anything. Yet, there's a threat here. The idea is you need to shut your mouth about this Jesus figure, otherwise something worse will happen to you. Peter and John say, yeah, well, nanny, nanny, nanny. <laughs> and they release them, right? And so they go back, I love this, they, they go back to the church they, and, and they give witness and testimony to what God had done. And they say, when they heard it, in verse 24 I am now, uh, they lifted their voices together to God. The first thing the church did in response to this is pray. And in their prayer, they focus on God's sovereignty of all things, and they pray for boldness. You know, again, listen, listen to what Doug has already read for us. When they heard it, they heard of being released, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord. This idea of God being sovereign is so incredibly freeing for his people. God, as we read here in this passage, God is the creator, the giver of life. He is sovereign. To be sovereign over something means you own it, you rule it, you have power and authority above it. And so we see here that, that the church, in leaning on the sovereign, sovereignty of God and trusting in the sovereignty of God, they have freedom to not worry about the outcome, but to do that which they've been given to do. They recognize here, this early church, they recognize God as the revealer as well. He had used his servant David to proclaim that Messiah would be rejected. And they recognize that in the life of Jesus, there is fulfillment of this psalm too. The, the, the second psalm is fulfilled in the life of Jesus as he is the Messiah, rejected by Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel. But all of that had happened exactly as God decreed it would happen. And so if then the rejection of Messiah Jesus was within the hands of God, and under his sovereign control, then even their present and future trouble would also be under the hands of God. There's a recognition here as we, as we look at the sovereignty of God, there's a recognition that he as the creator is the Lord of all time and history. And Jesus told his disciples that the world would oppose and oppress them. Just as the world oppressed and opposed him when he said, a servant is not greater than his master. But these events haven't caught God by surprise. 2016 was a crazy year. And 2017 has raised the bar. But even these events have not caught God by surprise. He knows they are happening. Jesus said they would happen. 
And when they are happening here in this passage, and when oppression and suppression and, and opposition arises to the gospel in our lives, when that happens, they are happening even under the sovereign control of God. And here, I think it's freedom, true freedom, not fatalism, but true freedom to be exactly who God called them to be, exactly who God calls us to be, to do exactly what God called them to do, and freedom for us to do exactly what God called us to do. Freedom to pray for boldness. I love this prayer. They begin with the sovereignty of God, and they turn to, and then they say, listen, Lord, help us. And notice what they pray. They don't pray for deliverance. They don't pray that they'd be removed from the jaws of the giant shark, Bruce. Uh, they, don't, they don't pray for protection uh, from, from hurt or damage. What they pray for, rather, is that in the face of the possibility of those things, they would continue to speak with all boldness. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What a prayer. What a prayer. And, you know, God, as God does, he responds, right? After they had prayed, the house shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There's encouragement here for us, I think, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The mission of the church to make disciples and baptize them and teach them to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ hasn't changed. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow because Jesus is the same and Jesus is the one who gave that mission. Tracking with me? Jesus is also the one who's poured out the Holy Spirit. That hasn't stopped. So there's real encouragement here, I believe, because this is no less true today than it was for the church in Acts chapter 4. In the face of opposition, followers of Jesus can be bold because of God's sovereignty and the power of the Holy Spirit. To those believers in Jesus who ask, God gives in abundance, and when the Holy Spirit is invited, he shows up. God is not stingy with his spirit. God is still sovereign, the Holy Spirit is still available, and boldness is still required. What a promise of God, though. What freedom there is here for God's people. What power he gives. Over the past several weeks, you've probably heard me repeat our vision for Emmanuel Anglican Church. You've probably heard me say that we're seeking to be a church glorifying God by blessing people with gospel ministries that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building his kingdom. This vision is birthed out of gospel passages such as Matthew 28, 19 or 18 through 20. It's birthed out of passages from like Matthew chapter 16 or John in chapter 4. And this, 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 this vision necessarily means that we as a church, we will continue to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, the only hope for mankind for salvation. And, and as individuals, we will seek to be equipped to continue to proclaim Jesus 
crucified and risen, the only hope for mankind in salvation. And this most assuredly means that somehow and some way the age and culture around us will push back. But as Flannery O'Connor has said, when the age pushes against you, you push back against the age as hard as it pushes against you. And the only way we can do that, folks, is trusting in the sovereignty of God and being filled with the Holy Spirit. I can think of fewer things that would be more intimidating for me than to be a college student in the year 2017 on a secular campus. I have a lot of respect for the Kaleo students who come with us because they're actively living out and seeking Jesus. Folks, when you go back to school, God bless you, you will need the boldness of the Holy Spirit. I have seen too many times faith shipwrecked in college. My own almost was. Too many times. And part of it is because we try to stand in our own power, in our own authority. We try to use our own cognitive abilities. And I'm a really good arguer. I can argue anybody out of anything. Except for Anna, she's far greater than I am. <clears throat> After 12 years of marriage, she has developed a resistance to my force skills. <laughs> but the real issue is, in, in, in being a witness on a college campus or in a job or, or in a community like Destin or Fort Walton Beach, anywhere, we need the Holy Spirit to make us bold. The, 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 the great encouraging thing, I think, that I find about, about God is that yes, he gives us these things to do and then he gives a super abundance of the power to do those very things. He wants us to proclaim Jesus and to do that, we trust in the sovereignty of God and the Holy Spirit for boldness. I think that's awesome. I hope you do too. Because we are called, like the earliest church, to trust in the sovereignty of God, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus crucified and risen, and life in his name. Here, resting in the promise of God's sovereignty, here, resting in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' people will know victory because they know the one who is victorious. In that same conversation Jesus had where he said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Just one chapter later in John's gospel, he says this, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, and because of him, because of the sovereignty of God, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' people can be bold in their witness. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we praise you and we give you thanks for the truth of Jesus Christ and life in his name. We praise you and give you thanks for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be a church made up of bold individuals and collectively as a church to be bold as we proclaim Jesus. Help us, Lord, as we seek to be a church, as I can read the prayer of that earliest church, that you would grant us to continue to speak your word with boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Praise you and give you thanks, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.